Good morning, beautiful people. My name is Danielle Nicholson. I am honored to serve as chair of the pastoral search team here at Christ Central. And today's scripture comes from Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas. My name is David Zimmerman. I'm an elder here at Christ Central, and it's my privilege to talk to you about um, carols for Christmas. You know, um, I hope you've already found yourself getting in the Christmas spirit. You know, there's a lot to be excited about this time of year. You know, maybe you're excited to go visit your family. Maybe, maybe, let's be honest, maybe you're excited about the gifts that you might receive. Like there's a lot to be excited about during Christmas, but sometimes conflict sneaks in, doesn't it, you know? You know, maybe we do get to visit our family But we also have to sit on the couch with our uncle and listen to the latest conspiracy theories he's read about on the internet. Uh, Maybe you know, you know, we get to exchange gifts. That's great, and uh, but but that gets kind of pricey, doesn't it? I mean, (laughs) the bills for Christmas stack up quickly. So this morning, I'd like to ask, how can we? Restore the joy of Christmas despite the conflicts that we face. And before I talk about that, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son into this world, born as a baby, born like us, and crown him Lord of all. Don't let us be discouraged by the conflicts that we encounter this season, but help us to see you, and as we see you, help us to find hope despite those conflicts. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So to try to answer this question about how we can find hope in the conflicts that we might experience during Christmas, I thought it'd be helpful for us to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2 especially, um, because Paul is giving, speaking to the church in Philippi because of some conflicts that are going on in their church. Now, <clears throat> to answer this uh, conflict, Paul gives them this sort of a Christmas carol. In verses 6 through 11, I, people consider this almost a song, a Christmas carol. And there's reasons why the scholars kind of tried to think of this as a song or a Christmas carol. It's because, like, in verses 6 through 11, it's, the words are weird. <laughs> These aren't words Paul uses anywhere else in the New Testament. And, in fact, no one else in the New Testament, these words are used. So it sounds like the Apostle Paul is hearing this Christmas carol somewhere else and attaching it to the Philippians so they can hear it. You know, we, we, the more you read the New Testament, you see Paul doing stuff like this all the time. He's speaking in Athens and he's quoting Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, you know. He, even in Colossians, in chapter 1, he quotes another song that comes from somewhere. So this is pretty common for Paul to do, quoting a song. Why? Why, why quote a song to the Philippians? Well, I think that He's going to quote a song to the Philippians for the same reason why we sing songs at church. After all, songs can be a really great, memorable, kind of catchy way to store up concepts. For example, if I were to say, deck the halls with boughs of holly, you might say, Tis the season to be jolly. Don we now our gay apparel. You told the ancient Yuletide carol. We didn't have to have the words on the screen. You know what to say. Right? That's why we, we that's why Paul is quoting this song to them. It's he's invoking in them the memory of the song they might have heard before, and it's really, really helpful. So <clears throat> now another reason Paul might be invoking this psalm is because it it invokes some really important deep truths in verses six through eleven. Some really great ideas that we really need to chew on. He wants the Philippians to hear this. Now, we, you know, we as a church leadership, we do this and we, we recommend this because sometimes in our church services we'll do a creed, right? We'll recite a creed and it's kind of a summary of some of the things that we believe. It's uh, not meant to be like a comprehensive understanding of things, but just kind of a summary. Of course, we recite the creeds because we believe the Bible, and the Bible tells us something about who God is, and we summarize that in a creed. And I know that sometimes some, some people, maybe you don't understand why we do the creeds, or maybe you grew up in a tradition and you weren't big into creeds, but, you know, we think it's really important, and that's why we 
as church leadership, we like to make sure we do creeds now and then. But if you think about it, what's the difference really between a creed and a song? Well, the difference really is one's put to music and one's not. But the power of the songs that we sing at church kind of remind us of who God is, what he's like, and that helps us remember. I don't know, I'm probably not the only one who throughout the week, you know, something will pop into my head and I'll start remembering it. Oh, yeah, that's a song that we sang at church, right? Because these songs stick in our heads, these deep truths of songs, they're really helpful to us throughout the week. They, they come to our mind. And so we want to make sure that the songs that we sing in church have some truth to them. Because these songs that we sing, these creeds that we may recite, what they say affects how we live our life. So we want to make sure the words we're singing, the creeds we're saying, have some truth that can help us. Because if these, if these songs don't have the right truth, that's going to end up hurting us as we live our life. For example, we might say, better, oh, I'm not hearing it. Better watch out, right? You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town, right? Right? He's making a list. Don't make me the only one. It's Christ. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Right? All right. See, see, now, if that song is true and we're living our life, that's going to have a huge implication in how we live. Right? And frankly, I think that song's kind of shamey. It's kind of like makes you feel guilty. It's very finger-wagging and guilt-ridden. If that's reality, boy, that stinks. That's probably why we don't sing that in church, or it may be one of the reasons why we don't sing that in church, right? So it's for these reasons, because Paul wants, us to have, wants the Philippians to have something memorable, a ditty to remember, but also because this song in verses 6 through 11 has some rich truths to it, that Paul is quoting this in this song. But what's the, Paul, what's the point Paul's trying to make by quoting this song? Now, I, I need to guard myself a little bit. I'm talking about Paul a lot here, and I don't want you to think that I don't believe this is God's word, right? This is God's word. God used Paul to write it to the Philippians because God wanted us to hear it too, right? So please don't get confused. I might use Paul as shorthand for the fact that this is what God has to say to us through the church at Philippi. So I just want to be clear. I, I, I might say Paul, but let's make sure we all understand. This is God's word to us. And so why did God want the Philippians to hear this song? And maybe there's a reason why God wants us to hear this song. Well, in verse 5... Paul tells them why, boy, the, 
uh, the big letter version of this isn't quite big enough. Um, he tells us why he wants them to hear this song. He says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now that little phrase, yours in Christ Jesus, that's packed with a ton of importance. You see, this in Christ concept that Paul's talking about here is really one of the most important concepts in the New Testament. It, it, it's kind of summarized by this idea called federal representation or federalism. And it's, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about Congress. It's, federalism is the idea that somebody represents us, and that person who represents us, what happens to them and what they do affects us and what we do. Federalism says that because Adam sinned, we sinned. It says that when Adam fell, we all fell. And it says that as a consequence of Adam's fall as our federal representative, we face the consequences of that fall. Because Adam... And you can read more about this if you're curious in Romans uh, 4 and 5. But Adam was our federal representative. But I got good news. Now that we believe in Jesus, we've switched. By believing in Jesus, Adam is no longer our federal representative. Now we switch to being in Christ. So what happened to Jesus happens to us. When Jesus dies for our sins, guess what? When Jesus dies, he dies for our sins, right? When Jesus is raised from the dead, guess what? Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgotten. You know, uh, what happens to Jesus as our new federal representative happens to us. This is why the virgin birth is such an important idea in the Bible. And that's why we take a whole season to celebrate this. It's not just that the virgin birth is a miracle. It was. Like God circumventing the laws of science and nature, that Jesus could be born of a virgin. Man, that's like not normal. That is a miracle. But it's more than that. You know, it's not just a prophecy. Hey, you know, in the future, uh, someone's going to be born a virgin. That's someone important you should pay attention to. It's true. It is a prophecy. But it's more than that. You see, we were all descendants of Adam. And as a result, oh, that's it. Yeah, I am. We have him as our federal representative. And we face all the consequences. But Jesus was not a descendant of Adam. He was born of a virgin. So guess what? Jesus gets to start over. And rather than do it all wrong like Adam did, Jesus 
did it all right. So now he can start over with a clean slate, and we who believe in Jesus have transferred who is our representative from Adam to being in Christ. What happens to Jesus happens to us. And that is what this song in verses 6 through 11 is really all about. Let's, let's look at look at verse 6. So, you know, Adam, if you recall the stories in Genesis 2 and 3, Adam was born in the image of God. Sound familiar? But Jesus, look in verse 6, Jesus was in the form of God. Okay? More than just in the image of God, Jesus was in the very form of God. Now, Adam, if you recall, grabbed the fruit. He grasped the fruit from the tree, right? And you remember in Genesis 3 what the serpent promised him would happen if he ate the fruit? You remember? You will be like God, right? But look at the end of verse 6 and see how Jesus flips this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality as a thing to be grasped. Hmm. Now, while Adam wanted more than being just God's servant. He just didn't want to work in the garden all day, right? He wanted to, to be in the likeness of God. That's why he grabbed the fruit. He wanted to be more than just a gardener, a servant. But look at verse 7. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Adam, finding himself as a man, exalted himself to be like God. I deserve better. I want to be more than just man. I'm going to eat that fruit so I can be like God, but not Jesus. Look at verse 8. And Jesus, being found in the human form, humbled himself. Well, as a result of Adam's actions... He became disobedient unto death, right? This holiday season's tough for us, some of us who've lost someone. Death entered the world because of Adam. It wasn't really how it was supposed to work. It's part of the fall. That's why it messes with us so badly. We kind of weren't built for it. Adam brought death in his disobedience. But Jesus, in the second half of verse 8, Jesus became obedient to the point of death. Even the humiliating, torturous death on a cross. So, therefore, Adam was condemned, disgraced. But look in verses 9 through 11 at what, Jesus, what happens to Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him, that is the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus undid everything Adam did wrong. And because we are in Jesus, we get the benefits of that. Now, a good Christmas carol is, is more than just good, deep, rich lyrics. A good Christmas carol has to have some feeling to it, right? Gives you the warm fuzzies, puts you in the Christmas spirit. And, and, and this, this Christmas carol that Paul's sharing with the Philippians does not disappoint when it comes to this. You can just feel exactly how it just, just declines from verses 6 through 8, into this utter despair. And then you can feel how it rises in joy and exuberance, verses 9 through 11. It's so important. I really want you to feel Paul's Christmas carol together. So can we, can we look at verses 6? I would like you to read this with me. And uh, I want you to feel what this is really like. So read it with me, please, in verse 6. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Wow! Wow! That's, that's who our representative is. Those of us who've engaged with Christ in faith. The benefits that Christ experienced there are our benefits. Side note, um, I need someone to write a song about this, please. Thank you. Um, so, Paul wants the Philippians to hear this amazing Christmas carol. Why? In verses 3 and 4, we get a kind of a clue. This is a church in conflict. Now, Paul doesn't specifically call out what the conflict is about, but we do know what's behind the conflict. In verse 3, they're struggling with selfish ambition and conceit. In verse 4, they're looking only after their own self-interest. And the solution that Paul writes 
the people he loves in Philippi is a Christmas carol. It's not, so stop being selfish. He doesn't tell them, so you stop being so conceited. He doesn't even say, so you should be more like Jesus. If that's all Paul has for this church that finds themselves in conflict, that's never helped anyone any more than telling someone you're in conflict with, just calm down. Never worked. That's not what Paul's doing. If he was doing the song he might as well have sung, to them was, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Jesus is coming again, he's going to get you, right? But that's not the song he quotes to them. He wants them to remember who they are now that they are in Christ. And that is the solution he gives them for the conflict, you can, he, he's even setting it up in verse 1. You, you just you hear, here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, man, if that Christmas carol that Paul's saying is true, there is some encouragement. That is who we are. He says, if there's any comfort from love in Christ. If that's who we are in Christ, and he is our representative, did you know that, Jesus, that God cannot stop loving you any more than he can stop loving Christ? That's some comfort in love. If there's any participation in the Spirit, he says. Wow. So Jesus is not just some distant federal representative sitting in D.C. in his comfortable office. He sent his Spirit into our hearts so that we're not just left alone to fend for ourselves. We can participate in the Spirit we're not left alone. If there's any affection and sympathy in Christ, Paul says, if this is true, and we are in Christ who died for us and rose from again for our justification, if that's true about us, the only difference between us and them is that we have a different representative. So maybe those around us who are struggling, maybe remembering who we are in Christ can help us give them sympathy too. If all of this is true, if there is any encouragement in Christ, then Verses 2 through 5 are true as well. Con con conceited conflict goes away. 
And we can focus instead on what we have in common. This frees us from seeking only what we, we need or we think we need or think we deserve so that we can turn our perspective from ourselves and, quote, count others more significant than ourselves. If this is true, we cannot look only after our own interests. Did you catch that? Verse 4? Look at Verse 4 is totally worth looking at because I don't want to miss it. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Paul's not telling the Philippians, be a doormat and only do what everybody else wants you to do. Paul is not condemning conflict. The sin that the Philippians were struggling with is not conflict because some things are worth fighting for. The sin is selfish ambition, conceit, and self-interest. We can look after our own interests but just don't only look after our own interests, is what Paul's suggesting to us. And so because of this, verse 5, we can have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, if that's how Paul applied this Christmas carol to the Philippians church, how can this help us? Restore the joy of Christmas in the conflicts we encounter over the next couple weeks. You know, I, I, I don't think I'm making a big confession here. So many of us have a lot of conflict over finances, right? It's probably one of the top conflicts in any close relationship. Finances, how the money's going to be spent, Right? And, and this is probably because most couples have a, spa a saver, and then they also have a spender, right? And this really comes out around Christmas time, where the conversation usually sounds like, you know, um, that's too much money to spend. And the other one says, well, you know, stop being such a Scrooge, it's the holidays, right? This is, this is how... I mean, I'm, don't, don't think for a moment I'm immune to this, right? Like, this is, this is how it works, right? Now, thanks to Pam and Larry, uh, Susan and I have gotten some tools to help us through this, right? We, when we find these conflicts arising, we actually schedule something on the calendar to sit on dun-dun-dun, the conflict couch. And at that point, we sit on the conflict couch, and someone, if, if you're a Seinfeld fan, airs their grievances. And the other person asks, is there more? Guess what? There's always more, right? And so a couple rounds of is there more, then when there's no more, the second person gets to repeat what that person said. Did I get that right is the question. Of course, 
the first time you never get it right, so there's a couple rounds of getting it right, at which point we get to trade. And the other person gets to share their grievances, to which the first person gets to reply, is there more? And, and we repeat, and these are the tools we've been given. Uh, don't think by me telling you this that we do this right. The last time we sat on the conflict couch, uh, with her permission, I can confess that our conflict was about cheese. <laughs> because somebody was eating ingredient cheese that was supposed to be for a recipe. Someone would, I mean, it's terrible that someone would do that. Now, we, we, you, you, we joke, but boy, this, this might have led to some raised voices in the grocery store later, right? Because conflict just has a way of seeping in. But what's the ultimate problem behind the cheese conflict? I think we've resolved this enough that I can say the real problem behind the cheese conflict is selfishness and looking after our own interests, right? Now, we can give you the tools. Pam and Larry, I'm sorry. Pam and Larry can give you the tools to deal with conflict. I told you I was going to talk about you. Um, but those tools are not enough unless you share the fact that you're both in Christ. Because when you can say, we know what happened to him, Jesus, what happened to Jesus happened to each of us. We don't have to try to win in that conflict. Instead, because we know who our representative is, we can listen. You know, we also, we also know because in whom is our new federal representative, we know in Christ we have so, so much. I don't have to get that from Susan. Because I know who my, we know who our federal heads are. So you can have the tools, and I recommend using the tools, but that unity in Christ gives us the reason why we schedule an appointment to sit on the conflict couch and go through this silly process, which actually kind of works, because we know who we are in Christ. Now, I, I know, unfortunately, I know that not all of you have a partner who's receptive to this. Or, or maybe you find yourself at conflict at work and, and kind of a conversation about federal headship and whether Adam or Jesus is your federal representative is not really on the playbook. But I'd still suggest to you this Christmas carol that Paul's giving the Philippians, even if the person with which you're having conflict does not share the, the, the belief of who their federal representative is, I still think you remembering who your representative is can help. Because I think what it does is as you trust in Christ for all he has done for you, that's going to change the way you handle conflict with others, whether or not they agree with you on this. Because 
of all your faith in who Christ is, you do not have to use that conflict to get yours. If you, in conflict with someone, whether they are a believer or not, can take the, I got to get mine out of that conflict, I'd suggest that that might help the person with which you have conflict not have to get theirs either. But, but this isn't easy, right? It's, I'm not giving you the secret sauce. Hey, here's three tips, no conflict during Christmas. Thanks, come again. Right? This is hard stuff. And conflict comes even to those who are in Christ. This was written to a church who presumably, hopefully believed, in who Jesus was. And to this church, this multi-ethnic, multicultural church with differing opinions and understandings and traditions and preferences that Paul's writing to, they shared in common their federal headship. They knew who Christ was and they were united to him as their head. They too had conflict. Christians aren't immune to conflict. But it's it's not conflict that's the sin. Right? It's the selfishness. Self-interest. The conceitedness. That's the sin. I was in a, a meeting with your church leadership recently, and we were talking about the fact that they, there, there might be some conflict coming in our community in the next 12 months with the election. I, hopefully not, but there might be. But if we start now by remembering who our federal head is. Look around. Look at who these, everyone, your federal head, we have the same federal head. And guess what? Paul reminds us in this song, he is Lord over all. No matter who you vote for, you're not voting to be Lord over that. Someone will be Lord over all, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. Over heavens, over the earth, and under the earth, he is Lord of all. Can we start to remember who the real Lord is in light of the next 12 months? And, and, and in light of that, too, and I, I take this idea, something St. Howard challenged me with. Um, can we vote not after our own self-interest? If we are in Christ, and that is who is our federal representative, if we believe that to be true, that frees us from having to vote for the candidate that just serves our own interest. What would it look like if rather than vote for a candidate that just does what we will help us, we voted for the candidate that helped others? Now, 
this Christmas, because of who we are in Christ, we can ask ourselves difficult questions and ask, is our conflict rooted just like it was for the Philippians in our own selfish ambitions, our own self-interests? Or can we be freed from those to engage in conflict productively? So when we sit next to our uncle on the couch and he starts talking about the latest thing he read on the internet, so it must be true if it's on Instagram, you know, we don't have to belittle him. We don't have to marginalize him. We don't have to prove ourselves right. We know who we are in Christ. What would it look like if we were to listen, hard though it may be, to our uncle? I, I have a, an uncle, and I, I find it really hard to talk with him because of the things that will come out of his mouth. But when, when I remember who I am in Christ and, and sit there and listen, I can see that he's really not buying into that as much as expressing his fear and his loneliness. And so if I can swallow my pride and come alongside him and solve the problems of loneliness and fear, maybe those conspiracy theories won't be quite as attractive. Maybe. And, and, and when, when we find that over the next week, because there's only six or eight Christmas days left in shopping right before Christmas, right, we find ourselves in the conflict of you spent too much or stop being a Scrooge, what if we can pause for a moment and remember who we are in Christ and ask ourselves, what are we really afraid of? Why do we feel like we have to give such extravagant gifts? Are we trying to cover up our own insecurities? Are we trying to impress people by being so generous? Or are we so afraid of, of being in a state of finances that's insecure that we are putting the brakes so heavily out of total fear? Like, these are the questions we can ask. These are tough questions to ask. We can only ask them if we know who we are in Christ. If we remember who this Christmas carol is about, that he now represents us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are excited for the season, but we also dread the conflict that comes so easily with it. Remind us of who we are in Christ and all that He is and that all You've done to undo the brokenness of this world through Him, to give us, the, give us the motivation of why we would even want to engage productively in conflict so that we can love those affectionately without having to.
look after our own self-interests. That's something that we just can't muster up. But we can, if you pour your spirit into us and give us this good news. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.